I don't know what to do here. I didn't learn about how to treat a battery acid-injured person when I was in massage school. So you have to kind of use that clinical reasoning of thinking like, well, what would be physiologically appropriate to do with them? Hello and welcome. You're listening to Health Careers with Dr. Martin, a podcast show that pulls back the curtain on what a career in health and wellness is really like. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Martin. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining me on another episode. Uh, I think today is going to be an awesome episode for you to listen to. We're going to talk with a healthcare professional who you may not actually think of as being in the healthcare profession. Uh, We're going to learn how this profession is actually very useful and can have profound impact on patients, sometimes quite immediately. They work with other healthcare professionals such as orthopedic doctors, rehab doctors, physical therapists. And we're going to learn about what it's like to be a massage therapist. Yes, that's the career we're going to talk about, massage therapist. And the person that we're going to talk to is a Mr. Whitley Lowe. And Mr. Whitney Lowe is actually an educator in health therapy. He used to be a clinician doing a lot of it intensely and heavily, but he's then tr- transitioned into the more the educational aspect of, of educating massage therapists. He's actually very involved in that, in this profession. He's created a wonderful website, educating massage therapists or someone considering being a massage therapist. There's a lot of valuable information in his website, but also he has a podcast. He has forums and he's been also been involved in a lot of the certification process and the licensing process of this profession. He's trying to elevate the standard of this profession and he's been trying to do that for a number of years. So he has a real in-depth understanding and perspective that maybe other massage therapists don't have. We're also going to learn a little bit about misconceptions people have about a massage therapist. Even I was educated that a lot of massage therapists don't like the words masseuse and masseur and we'll learn a little bit why. If you think this is you like this episode or even other episodes, I really encourage you to please check out my website Give me a, a five-star rating if you think it wor- it's worth it to whatever podcast directory you listen uh, to. Uh, and if you have any comments that could be helpful, then send me an email through my website or just drop a few comments in the whatever podcast directory uh, that you listen to. That'd be very helpful. It'll help bring attention to this po- of this podcast and this episode to other listeners um, that might be looking for this information. So um, looking forward to your help there. But without further ado, let's jump into this episode. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome. Um, I'd like to welcome you to another great episode. Today, I have Mr. Whitney Lowe, a massage therapist, actually all the way from Oregon. So thanks for joining me, Whitney. Good to be with you. Thank you very much for the invitation. So let's just dive right into it. What's a quick bio? Can you give us a quick bio of yourself? Yes, yeah, so I am a massage therapist and predominantly a massage therapy educator now. I've been doing a lot of work in the teaching realm. Um, been a massage therapist since 1988, so I've been involved with the field uh, quite a good bit. I got into this originally, I was um, studying psychology in graduate school and got interested in some of the mind-body connection, and that's how I sort of got involved with massage therapy. Went to massage therapy school, got trained in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, went through a number of other uh, training programs and things there in the massage world. Went back to graduate school one more time for 
a master's degree in sports medicine and biomechanics, and then interrupted that uh, graduate degree to uh, take another uh, opportunity that I had in the massage world that I thought was going to be, I was unable to pass it up. It was just too good of an educational uh, opportunity. So I've been sort of a perpetual student in and out of places for a long time. Uh, Then I moved out to Oregon in the mid-90s, written a couple textbooks, and been involved with uh, both seminars and training programs around the country and online education for a good number of years. So quite a number of different pieces of the pie that I've had my fingers in in the massage therapy world. And we're going to jump into a few questions here, real quick hit questions. Give us a real kind of taste, if you will, of your profession. So massage therapists, what do they do in healthcare exactly? One of the most fascinating things about the world of massage therapy is there's so many diverse uh, avenues for people to get into. It runs the gamut from people doing, uh, you know, palliative care with geriatric patients, for example, or working in hospitals with cancer patients, to the very common group of people that are working with all sorts of musculoskeletal pain and injury problems. Maybe they're working in chiropractor's offices or physical therapy offices or in conjunction with other health professionals, or many of them working independently in their own clinics or, or other types of, of uh, places. So, there's a lot of different uh, avenues. There's massage therapists working and traveling with sports teams, with mm-hmm. you know uh, dance troops. There's, so there's just a tremendous n- number of uh, variety of, of situations that massage therapists may find themselves in. Wow, a lot of opportunities there. We're going to dive into that a little bit later on. Yeah. Uh, what are the usual steps to achieve the professional certification of a massage therapist? So uh, mas- the big thing is that massage therapy training requirements vary significantly. And uh, I'll speak mostly to the United States because that's what I'm familiar with, but it also differs yeah. quite a good bit around the world. Um, but here in the United States, training varies by state. Uh, so there are credentials that are statewide. That some, there are, We still have a few states that don't have licensure for massage therapists. I think we're about at four or five of them right now that still don't have licensure for massage therapists. But most of the states have training programs that run somewhere between about uh, five to six hundred hours up until maybe, you know, a thousand hours or so on some of the other programs in a couple of different states have requirements that are that high. So that's about the average. And those are clock hours of, of training. So that kind of divides up into, you know, various different ways by months or how the programs are set up. And what is the best part of your career? I would have to say without qualification, the best part of this profession, this career is the capability to walk into a room with somebody and interact with them and change their life, basically, by nothing more than what you do with your hands and your interaction with them. I've had so many instances where people were just taken out of, you know, very significant long-term pain mm-hmm. problems or just felt like, you know, what you did with connecting with them and, and working with them with hands-on uh, care is something that people are craving tremendously, and it's just it's so rewarding to be able to be a part of that process with people. That's awesome. Is there a least favorite part of your career? Yeah, I'd say the least uh, favorite part perhaps is you know the physical demands. Um, mm. You know, massage therapy is a very physically demanding thing, and it can get lonely for people as well. Mm. Which is, but you are you know sometimes seeing four or five people a day, maybe for an average practitioner. Um, some people will see more if they're working on shorter duration sessions, but you're just in a room with those individuals by yourself and oftentimes quite isolated from people. So that can get to be that can get to be hard sometimes after a while. Well, that's great. I love that quick hit questions. That's very helpful. I'd just dive into some meatier questions, if you will, some of which you kind of refer to. 
the credentialing aspect of being a physical therapist. What is, uh, there's both licensing and credentialing. Yeah. And it varies by state. So if someone is interested in this career, what do they have to do to learn about that? Do they just look up, say, I'm in Georgia, look up how to become a massage therapist? Is there a credentialing body that that helps uh, steer people in the right direction to make sure they get the right credentials and licensing? Yeah. So right now, I would say that we're kind of coming out of a Wild West uh, sort of situation in massage therapy education in our country. Just to give you some uh, some uh, perspective about this, when I went to school for massage therapy in the late 80s, um, there was somewhere, I think, around the neighborhood of 50, maybe 40, 50 massage therapy schools in the country. Mm, okay. Um, by 2005, there were over 1,500 massage therapy schools in the country. <laughs> now, the big part of that is we didn't have enough qualified faculty to staff all of those massage therapy schools. So, unfortunately, we see a lot of decline in the quality of what's happening in massage therapy training because of the number of training programs that are out there. So finding a good training program is really important. And uh, each state has a, uh, a state that has licensure for massage therapists has a licensing board, but that's not really going to be the best place to identify where to get good training. The best way is to really ask around for people who are already in the profession, you know, where did you do your schooling? You know, what what was your experience of that schooling like? Ask around on social media. There's a number of massage therapy forums, you know, ask, you know, what people felt like in terms of the quality of training of their different programs. You'll get a good sense of the the very wide variety that is out there. Wow. So because as we talked about before we we started recording, massage therapists are everywhere. I mean, they're Airports, they're in shopping centers. They could be have their own, um, their own private office, if you will. Um, they're they're affiliated with medical practices. And the question is, how do you separate? If you want to enter this field, how do you separate yourself from these these other massage therapists that we're not even sure if they are massage therapists? Yeah. So this is this is a big challenge that we've had throughout our profession. And you know, um, you know, when I again when I got into this in the late eighties, uh, and and this is still current a pro- currently a problem is, you know, changing the public's perception about what massage is about from mm-hmm. associate you know really sort of detrimental associations with sex workers over the you know the the decades prior to that and lingering perceptions with you know terms like massage parlor and things like that that don't really give a sense of working in a healthcare arena and and even the term masseuse is really considered uh sort of a denigrating term uh, it has ah, some other okay. historical context, but that's that's not something that you, if you're talking to somebody who does massage therapy for a career, they probably don't want to be referred to as a masseuse. The other thing people don't realize is it's a gender-specific term, so I will never ah, be a masseuse. Uh, that I would have been a masseur in the, the earlier way in which those terms were used. But again, we ter- tend to prefer use of that term. But here's the other dilemma is that massage therapy as a profession is really sort of a split personality. Um, we have the one aspect of this profession that focuses more on what we like to refer to as maybe a wellness model or a personal well-being model. And this is massage therapy performed at spas, um, you know, cruise ships, resorts, um, hotels, private practice for just for, I want to go to really just feel good. I just want to relax and de-stress and feel good. Then there is massage therapy that is done in more of a medical context to address 
what we say maybe compromised health conditions. And this is, you know, massage for cancer patients, massage in a hospice, um, massage for sports injuries, dealing with athletic teams or or dealing with physical therapy clinics or chiropractic patients. So the distinction right now, this is a big problem. We don't really have a good way to make a strong distinction because there is no national credential that distinguishes those two really very divergent training tracks. And that's actually one of the things that we're working on a great deal is to try to see if we can find some way to do that better. If someone wants to be a massage therapist, do they need a high school degree? Generally, most schools will require a high school diploma as a basic entry-level requirement. High school diploma or GED or something like that is, is almost always a requirement. Yeah. So you don't even need to go to college or community college at all? You don't need to go to college. It's considered more like a trade or vocational school, so um, which is great in terms of ease of entry into the profession, meaning you can get into the profession with a relatively low barrier or low bar. But the flip side of that is when you come out, you have the capability to basically see anybody that you want to. They can basically make an appointment walking off the street and see you. So, you know, I like to call this to people's attention is in terms of thinking about this is that, you know, when we say you can enter school with a uh, just a GED or a diploma, you can have an 18 or 19-year-old kid being a direct access healthcare provider with very, in my opinion, inadequate training to be in that role. And so that's... Right, right. In our profession, uh, continuing professional education or continuing education coursework becomes a crucial aspect of the de- professional development of those people who are going to work in a more medical or healthcare-oriented environment. After you finish the 500-plus hours of credentialing, to, need, to get credentialing and license, are there uh, programs that people can go into, kind of like residency, to get that training? Yeah, Right now, most of that kind of training comes in the form of weekend workshops uh, that, you know, traveling uh, teachers who travel around the country who've developed reputations or, you know, have built programs. There aren't many long-term programs where students would go back to school, for example, or do something in a more supervised capacity like a, a residency. Most of that kind of training comes in the form of of continuing education or continuing professional development courses that are done just in a series of maybe weekend or four or five day uh, course sort of crash course in the way I look yeah. at it. Um, you know, having focused a lot and learned a lot about education, um, I do recognize that there's some really serious limitations to that model of learning because it it forces you to try to cram a whole bunch of stuff in on a very short period of time. And lots of times you don't come away with anywhere near what you need to from those kind of educational experiences. And because it sounds like the, the profession is very uh, fractured a little bit, it's not very centralized, that a lot of people are are very are doing this on their own. There's a lot of isolation in terms yes. of even just educating themselves and yeah. not a sense of camaraderie doing this together. Let's get this done. Yeah. As a that, you know organization. I would say that's definitely true. And and you know the other thing is that uh, for individuals that decide that they want to pursue more serious education, you're basically left on your own to design your curriculum and determine what do I need to learn, which is liberating to a certain degree because yeah. it really allows you some freedom to explore the things that you're really interested in. But it's also detrimental because there isn't some there isn't as much guidance to tell you, well, you may not be that excited about this, but you really need to learn this stuff. You know, these are the things right. that are really important about being a healthcare professional, for example. 
You know, like, I don't think anybody gets up in the morning and is, like, really excited to go to learn the HIPAA course, you know, but it's really <laughs> important that people understand those things, you know. Whitney, tell me a little bit, um, let's pull back a little bit about the, the licensing credentialing. In terms of the work, what does a massage therapist do, typically? So, um, you're talking about after completing, you know... After the completing training the training, you're actually working with Pete with actual patients. Yeah. So again, this is very dependent on the environment that you end up working in, but for the for the majority of them, they will probably see people somewhere around uh, you know an hour long appointment time each day and that may depend on where they're working. You know, for example, I worked in a physical therapy clinic where it was very busy and we were seeing patients every half hour. Uh, on the half hour. So it was a wow. quick, very quick turnaround. Uh, and not, you know, I was not working at all in the way in which I was trained because the way I was trained mm-hmm. to do massages, we spend an hour with people with this long, you know, relaxing environment and all this kind of stuff. And and in this physical therapy clinic, it was a very different uh, structure and setting. But what that did is it forced me to learn how to accomplish things in a relatively short period of time. So uh, most of the time, that's the kind of setting where people will be doing, you know, one-on-one individually with people uh, trying to be in an environment that really is conducive to relaxation. So soft music, you know, dim lighting, pleasant smells, you know, quiet room, all those kinds of things that really help settle the nervous system down, but also are a very significant part of having a great uh, massage and relaxation experience. I see. And what is a typical day like for a typical massage therapist? You know, it's, it's so difficult to talk about the typical massage therapist because yeah. there are so many different uh, avenues. But as a general guideline, I'd say m- most massage therapists in a general work day would be seeing somewhere between maybe four to seven people a day uh, for a full hour-long session. You know, mm-hmm. here's one of the things that there's a lot of people who work in our profession part-time, meaning they're not doing this all day long, every day, five days a week. And one of the reasons is it's very physically demanding. People mm-hmm. don't realize how much this takes a toll on your body doing this physical work, especially your hands and upper extremity, um, fingers, you know, thumbs and elbows and everything. It, it does take quite a toll. So it's you know physically demanding work. But most uh, people who are working close to full time will see somewhere between you know four to seven or eight people a day. Um, and then that might be, you know, a lot of people like to come in for their session late in the day or maybe even weekends. So you might end up working non-typical hours sometimes, especially when you're getting started and trying to build up a clientele. Got it. Um, so you're trying to fit into other people's schedules. Since it's so physically demanding, I would presume over time people pull back from being full-time. They start doing part-time work. Or or they're doing something else. And I know we talked about this briefly. What are some other things a massage therapist can do besides doing doing directly hands-on work? Well, what I'll see a lot of people do, for example, is change the way they work also that can cut down on the physical demand. So, for example, um, maybe you were trained to do a lot of work with your thumbs and, and that really has caused you to have a lot of you know wrist and hand pain in your thumbs. People will change the type of work they do and still be very effective. So, maybe they're doing lighter work and using more broad contacts with a palm and the whole base of their hand or their forearms or elbows or things like that. They'll use massage tools, uh, oftentimes things that can also get really beneficial results without having to put so much 
stress on their individual joints. So that's one thing that people can do. But, you know, another thing is there's a lot of other avenues that people may um, venture into doing more, you know, stretching type work and more movement-oriented things. There's a lot of um, crossover with yoga and Feldenkrais practitioners and you know, Traeger practitioners and people who are doing other types of body movement therapies. Uh, and then, you know, some people, like, for example, myself, I got very interested uh, early on in education and going back into teaching. So, you know, there's a lot of people who go back and spend part of their time in the clinic and part-time teaching doing uh, things to help share things with other practitioners. So, a good number of other avenues for people to pursue. I mentioned before, too, that the massage therapist has a, a lot of similarities with physical therapists. How do you separate the two? Obviously, they are very different professions. Yeah. But can you, in your words, how do you see them as different or complementary? So, first of all, I'd say they're very complementary with each other. I've worked in a number of physical therapy clinics over the years, and we found a lot of great success with the patients that we were working with doing things together with the physical therapist focusing a lot on uh, education and movement um, and you know, rehabilitative exercise and that sort of thing. And the massage therapist really focusing predominantly on the experience of decreasing musculoskeletal pain and discomfort from soft tissue manipulation for a long period of time. Most physical therapists don't do that much hands-on um, soft tissue work with each individual patient because they're usually seeing a lot more people for a shorter duration of time and they're supervising exercise and that sort of thing. So uh, massage therapists are spending uh, almost exclusively in terms of what they do with their treatment. It's all about working with um, manipulating soft tissue with each individual and, and enhancing that experience that, that people are having during that long period of time that they're with them. Whitney, I know you do more educational work than direct hands-on, but is there a particular case that you remember that stood out to you or stands out to you when you think about when you were actually doing massage therapy on a patient? Yeah, there have been quite a number of them that have happened over the years that were very impactful for me, not only for, I think, uh, recognizing what massage therapy can do, but just also connecting with people in yeah. a really fascinating way. And one that comes to mind is I had a a uh, person that I was working with, and this was oh probably relatively quick, uh, relatively soon into my career. So it has been back sometime around the late uh, late nineteen eighties. She had been in an automobile accident, and um, they were in a pickup truck that was carrying some very large drums of battery acid or some kind of very caustic acid, wow. and they had an accident, okay. and the acid spilled on her, and so it, it caused you know very severe. Uh, skin injuries and yeah. increased uh, you know, very serious nerve pain uh, from the injury over the time. And she had been to multiple practitioners and, you know, trying to find some kinds of soothing thing that would help her. And nothing really had been beneficial with her. And she came in and somebody had referred her, her in to try massage. And, you know, oftentimes you're in these situations like, I don't know what to do here. I didn't learn about how to treat a battery acid injured person when I was in massage school. So you have to kind of use that clinical reasoning of thinking like, well, what would be physiologically appropriate to do with them? And, you know, clearly I'm not going to work on this area of skin, which is hypersensitive, but I can recognize that there is value for settling down her whole nervous system experience through what we can do with massage. And so I just did some very soothing types of massage things with her throughout the rest of her body. And she got off off the massage table after that first session just crying. I'm like, oh, my God, what did I do to you? And she goes, I've just – this." 
I've never had this sensation of relief that you gave me. This has just been such a miracle for me. And I'm like, wow, okay, I, you know, didn't really <laughs> that's awesome. what I was doing, you know. Um, but recognizing at that point the incredible power of what that kind of um, directed therapeutic intervention can do with somebody with that kind of uh, hands-on care really made me recognize that there's a lot more going on here than I realized at first. We talked about this briefly, but what are some of the misconceptions people have of massage therapists? Well, probably the biggest one is, you know, how massage therapy is portrayed in the media. And and those of us in the profession just groan every time we see these pictures <laughs> yeah. of, you know, the very attractive white woman laying on a massage table with her head turned to the side, you know, and hot stones on her and a beach in the background and this, you know, flowers maybe draped on her or something like that. And, you know, that's just that's just not how it works. That's rarely ever are you in that kind of situation with somebody doing things. So there's a lot of misperception about massage, and it's treated pretty poorly in, you know, television images and references to what massage therapy is and does. You know, I've seen some very, yeah. very poor depictions of what we do. So that that's really that bothers us, you know, the fact that that's, sure. that's the perception of what, what's out here. So that's our job as a profession is to start in, um, you know, encouraging people to, to learn more about what we do. But this, that's the hard thing about it too, because what we do happens behind closed doors. You don't mm. see a lot of the real massage therapy things happening in a therapeutic environment where you'd often see other kinds of, of treatments being done by other health professionals. So, you know, w this is an interesting story. I remember when I first started working at the, uh, I worked at an orthopedic clinic with Emory University back in, in the late 80s and early 90s. And this was very unique, the fact that they brought in a massage therapist to work in this brand new state-of-the-art orthopedic clinic. And at the outset, there was a lot of hesitancy amongst a lot of the staff members there about, like, mm. what is this massage guy yeah. doing here and everything? Yeah. So, you know, they put me in this room at the very far back end of the hall. And, uh, you know, I, I went in and talked to him. I said, look, can we do something different in this room, like not have the bright fluorescent lights on? And I wanted to try to con create a conducive, really relaxing environment. And, you know, they'd send, pe they'd send people to me. And at first it started off as like, people they couldn't figure out what to do with, send them to the massage guy. You know, it's kind of <laughs> like, so it was sort of like the, the wastebasket of, you know, everything they couldn't figure out what to do with. Option of last resort there. Yeah. And then a lot of those people started getting better and coming out saying like, you know, they'd see them walk out of the room with this look on their face like, oh man, this is so good. I feel so <laughs> wonderful. And so it was a lot of curiosity started like, what are you doing in there? You know, like what's really happening in there? And that was wonderful because what it really did is it opened up the opportunity for us to begin communicating more with each other. And what we did over the years is developed a wonderful uh, collegial relationship where, you know, I talked to them about what I was doing with massage and with seeing their patients and how this would benefit them or whatever. And the flip side of that is I also, I'm sure, was pretty annoying because I would just follow them around everywhere when I didn't have patients in the clinic and watch what they were doing. You know, why you know, yeah. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And trying to learn what they were doing in the rehab process and how massage might coordinate with this. And so we really developed a good sense of, of recognizing when would be the benefits of this particular approach and then also in times too, a lot of the limitations when it wasn't going to work because uh, it's important to recognize it's, it doesn't, doesn't always work with everybody like nothing does. It uh, works all the time. What do you think the future is like for your profession? 
I mean, I know you're very much in education. You, you, you're involved in a lot of committees and a lot of, uh, national organizations. So what is your view, you think, in the next few years of where your profession is headed? Not necessarily I, your career, but the profession itself. Yeah, I think it's a very exciting time for us in massage therapy. Um, in that we are, there is greater recognition of the value of massage, especially in the healthcare arena, and a greater degree of acceptance. And we've moved out of this sense of having to try to explain that we're not sex workers to people. We don't have to do that yeah. much anymore, um, because there's so much written now about the positive benefits of of massage therapy. So. Um, we're now in a place of, of recognizing there's a lot of value in what we do, and we can be complementary uh, partners in a healthcare team. And so for me, this is a, a very exciting time to see the potential growth of our profession. It's also going to be a very painful time for our profession because, you know, growing pains are challenging, and, and mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. is going to become a point uh, – and I think we've been moving toward this for a number of decades, but we're still, you know, a little bit away from that, where we are going to have to make some divisions or distinctions about training requirements that are going to be much more stringent for certain people entering this that want to work in the healthcare arena than people who want to work in the more wellness or, or personal care models of massage. But in general, uh, if you look at the adoption of massage, the number of people who are getting massage, the number of people who are exposed to it, the number of people who learned about it or are curious about it, those numbers are increasing very significantly. So it's it's a good time for growth and, and the outlook of what's happening in the profession. What students do you think best flourish in this type of career? This is a this is a challenging one, but I would say uh, the people who really do best are, are people who are okay being kind of working alone by themselves. They're not mm-hmm. having to have a lot of social interaction with a lot of other people. Some people really thrive off that whole workplace, um, you know, relationship with a lot of other coworkers. Because yeah. massage therapy can be kind of lonely sometimes because you are, you know, quiet in this room with a few individuals for your day. That can be that can be a little bit um, challenging for some people. The other thing is that those people who are most successful in this field are those I've seen uh, generally who have some type of entrepreneurial or, um, you know, individual business mindset about creating their own success uh, because we're not yet at the point where there's a lot of jobs that massage therapists would just go sign up for a job and and move their way up through a, a ladder of, of success and improvement in those different positions. Right. Like there being are, in a hospital setting, exactly, for example. Yeah. So there's an increasing number of employment opportunities for massage therapists in some of these locations, but still the people who tend to be most successful that I've seen throughout our field are those individuals who are kind of um, self-directed and driven to accomplish more on their own. As well, I want to present some rapid fire questions. Okay, to learn a little bit more about you, if you don't mind. Okay, yeah, you ready? I'm ready. All right, cats or dogs? Dogs, but I love the cats. You know, we have two of each, but I'm a dog guy. Got it. Beaches or snow? Snow. You know, uh, my wife's from Alaska, and she's got oh. me enamored. We live out in Oregon now, and we have gotten enamored with this, the North Country and the snow. So, uh, snow. But I you know, All right. still love the beach, but snow, yeah. <laughs> Favorite type of movies or TV shows to watch? Um, drama adventure things where I get wrapped up in a story and, figure, and lose the time, you know. Oh, Both movies great. and TV, those kind of things, yeah. 
Favorite place you have ever visited? Alaska. Yeah, really? without question. Yeah, Alaska. And lived there. Um, but yeah, just phenomenal place. Yeah. Place you most want to travel to that you haven't visited yet? Tibet. Um, fascinated with uh, things there. I've always kind of thought I would love to see that someday. Um, don't know if I will ever get there, but um, I've always had a fascination with wanting to see that at some point. Was there a chore you really hated doing as a child? Yes. Uh, empty, uh, cleaning the kitchen, you know, putting, uh, doing the dishes. I was, okay, emptying the dishwasher, and I hated you know, cl- putting the dishes in there and cleaning the kitchen, but I had to do that every day. Yeah. Got it. If you could only keep three possessions, what would they be? Uh, let me think. So, um, they're probably going to be musical instruments for most of The guitar, my father's a guitar maker and a violin maker, so the guitar my dad made for me would certainly be one of them. Um, I hate to say this, but, you know, the reality is my computer, because <laughs> I, I can't live without it right now. Um, that, uh, and boy, the third one, um, you know, I'd have to say, um, what would I not live without? Um well, I'd have to. Would I have to pick one of my animals or something? That, uh, but I don't, they're not possessions. They're family. They're not. So, pos- well, not, it not depends how you look at it. So, yeah, um, I'd say maybe some other pieces of artwork that I have uh, here in terms of awesome. possessions. Something. But that's a hard one I have to think about. Well, you know, interestingly, here and I'll mention this real briefly. I had to kind of think about that recently because we live in a very rural area and we had a very bad forest fire come oh, near our right. house a number of years right. ago, and I, we had to evacuate. And so I did have to throw a bunch of stuff in the car and haul ass get out of there. So um, just start thinking about that happens again. That's right. Have to get that stuff set up somewhere. Um, What's something you could eat straight for a week? Pasta. Just simply buttered noodles with sour cream on them. Wow. For a week. Very simple. Good. Yeah. And And grapefruit. um, (laughs) Well, grapefruit. Not together. Interesting company. Not together. (laughs) Each one of those I could. Yeah. Two more questions. If you had to live in a different state, what would it be? Alaska. All right. I'd say that again, probably. Yeah. And if you could start your career over, what would you do differently? Although I think you answered that. Yeah. Um, I would – here's what I would do. I would finish my um, master's degree in sports medicine and biomechanics. That's what I would do mm-hmm. because it that would have opened up and would potentially still open up other doors to things, especially in academia, where I've yeah. drifted to be very interested. The, my lack of having completed a graduate degree has been an impairment in a certain number of places in my profession. So, mm. Great. Yeah, finishing one of those degrees, yeah. Winnie, this has been a, been a great episode. I really appreciate you coming on. I learned a lot. Yeah, well, and thank you so much thank for having you so me. So much for sharing. Yeah, where and I know I want to talk about this briefly because you are an educator. You're educating a lot of massage therapists. You have a. I found you because of your website and what and the courses you're providing. So, where can listeners go to learn more about you and and find out more about what you're doing? Yeah, they can um, check things out at my website, theacademyofclinicalmassage.com. We also, uh, my, I have a colleague that ha- we have a podcast together. You may also be curious in listening to that. If you want to learn a little bit more about what we explore in the massage world, that's called the Thinking Practitioner. Um, so, yeah, those are two places that uh, people can find me. And then uh, just email me. You can got links to email me there, Whitney at academyofclinicalmassage.com. That's great. Yeah. Well, Whitney, thank you so much. 
So glad you joined us. All right, everybody. That's our show today. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about today's guests or other past guests, just check out my website, healthcareerswithdrmarn.com or hcwithdrmarn.com. Of course, if you like what you heard on this podcast, then please go to my website, add your name and email to my email list. That way you can get the latest announcements and news as they arise. You can also find me on Instagram at drrichardmarn. That's Dr. Richard Marn. Thank you so much for listening and catch you on the next episode.